Yeah, it's great. Um, guys, we, uh, we are in a series called Keeping God First When You Don't Feel Like It. And we're going through some, some times that, that, uh, that, that are just difficult and everything, but we're seeing God's hand through it all. Two weeks ago, we, we talked about when it happens, when it, it, it was a, a devastating life event after which you were forever changed. Uh, last week, we talked about when you need a miracle and nothing happens. We went through the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and their faithfulness before uh, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. And today, we're talking about this, part three, when you need healing and he doesn't heal. And the main thing today is to see your level of spiritual maturity, see what you do when you don't get what you want. Say that again. To see your level of spiritual maturity... See what you do when you don't get what you want. Now, so many times as a pastor, I've, I've uh, been asked to pray for people who are sick or who are injured, have been to the ICU, been to the hospitals, many, more times than I can count. And so many times as a Christian, I've prayed for people who are sick. The person isn't always healed. As a matter of fact, most of the time they aren't. At least immediately they aren't. I, most of the time when I pray over someone in ICU who is at death's door and I lay hands and pray, they don't stand right up completely healed. That doesn't happen very often. Um, now, I have to say this, when I was in seminary living in Wilmore, the doctors and nurses in Lexington area hospital, St. Joe, Central Baptist, everything, um, uh, said that people who from Wilmore spent significantly less time in hospital than people from everywhere else. They call it the Wilmore phenomenon. Um, it was well known that the person from Wilmore was spent about half the time in the hospital as everyone else. Um, talking with doctors and nurses, heard it all the time. And the doctors and nurses, I didn't know if they were Christians or not, but they always attributed it to the fact that Asbury Seminary was there and the tons of churches in that small town, and they were being prayed for by their, by their um, church families. But, but we've all experienced this. We've prayed for healing and nothing happens. Uh, a loved one, ourselves, sick or hurt or dying, we pray, nothing happens. And, and so how are we supposed to keep God first when these kind of things happen, when he doesn't come through for us when we need him to? Uh, what's going on? Well, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't whitewash life. Um, it, it doesn't sugarcoat the ugly episodes of when, what went on when God acts. Uh, the story of God is full of hard times and question and devastation, kind of just like our lives. And I love that about the Bible. This is one of the stories, this particular one, is one of the stories I latched onto when it happened to me 18 years ago. 2 Samuel 12, 16 through 23. King David, the guy who slew Goliath with the, the, the slingshot. David and Goliath, this is him. David pleaded with God for the life of his child. His child was dying. Uh, he fasted and he spent nights in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. Verse 18. Now on the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he, would, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that the attendants were whispering amongst themselves and realized the child was dead. It's a child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house and at his own request um, uh, served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead, you get up and eat. 
He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Now, what a strange incident to record in the Bible. You know, uh, why wouldn't the Bible just include a story of the hero when, when, when God came through uh, uh, for the greatest hero in the Bible, save Jesus himself? King David was, up until Jesus, was the, the, the example. He was the guy, okay? Why would the Bible include a story when God didn't come through for him? It's just strange. Well, the Bible isn't as allergic to tragedy as we in America are. Uh, it doesn't seem to bother the biblical writers. They, they seem to think that tragedy and, and these kind of things were just normal parts of life, unlike we in America. Uh, the Bible has no problems whatsoever showing life happening to even the most faithful ones of us. And I've studied this passage thoroughly, and I found three things about this. The first thing is this, is that God's no is not a referendum on your faith. Okay, uh, verse 22, 23. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Okay, for far too many people, God's saying no. It means they don't have enough faith. This is the man after God's own heart, David, who was held up as a prize. His faith was not in question. So when God says no to you, it is not a referendum on your faith. We need to stop that. Okay, until Jesus, like I said, until Jesus, a couple thousand years later, he was the greatest that ever lived. No one in the Bible matched the faith of King David. He's closest with God, his direct connection with God. Maybe Moses could come in close second, but David's identified as Scripture's greatest of all, except Jesus, and he got to know. So if you've fasted and prayed for healing and nothing happens, it is not a referendum on your faith. We can just put that to bed. It's not that you didn't say the right words, or it, God can still be pleased with your faith and say no. It's also not a referendum on God's faithfulness to you. Remember that. I found that God is just as close during the no as he is during the yes. And I found that in seasons where I felt forsaken by God, that he is doing, that's when he's doing some of his best work. And I see the fruit and the blessings of that later on. The second thing I found is this. God's no is not a statement of God's opinion of you. Romans 8, 38-39, Paul tells this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor age, angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is, uh, of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's very easy to think that when you pray for a loved one, or you pray for yourself and nothing happens, that God somehow just doesn't like you, or, or, or he, he's just abandoned you. All right, you hear stories of the great prayer warriors and people with the astounding gift of healing, uh, and you figure that they're just on a different plane than you, uh, that somehow God likes them better, that he hears their prayers more than yours. That's not true. Now, the Bible does say this, that the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. And it does seem to be biblical proof that people who live lives surrender to God um, have extra power to their prayers, but even the closest ones to God hear the word no. It certainly doesn't mean that God doesn't love you or he's not there for you. Somehow you've lost your salvation without knowing it. That's not what that means. Let's, let's get that toxic line of thinking out of our minds. So what did King David do when he didn't get what he wanted? What did he do? What was the result? He went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. 
See, uh, David obviously didn't think that God's no was a, was a, was a slap in the face or, or, or that, that somehow God didn't like him, he didn't want to hear from him. No, he went straight to the house of the Lord and worship. He went straight to, the God, to God and worship. See, guys, if you want to know what uh, your level of spiritual maturity is, what do you do when you get no? What do you do when God says no? What do you do? That shows your level of spiritual maturity. This man in the Bible went straight to the Lord and worshiped, told him how great he was, praised his name. What a man of faith this was. But the most difficult thing to accept is that God's no is not unfair. It's number three. It's not unfair. John 16, Jesus tells us, says, I have told you these things so that in me you, have, you, me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, the only promise that Jesus made to us is that we will have trouble in this world. Our bodies will break down. We will get sick. We will get injured. Loved ones will die. They will get Parkinson's. They will get Alzheimer's. Uh, uh, children, old, adults, middle-aged adults, everyone at some point will die. That is the, the guarantee. It's the only promise Jesus has given us. He said, but take heart. I have overcome this world. See, the only thing, uh, the thing so many people think that Jesus made some kind of a promise that he's not being faithful to. Many people try to hold God to a promise that God has never made. God has never said one time in the Bible that I will take care of all of your problems, that everything you face, I will handle. I, he never says that. He never says every time you get sick, if you pray, I will heal you. We all know that's not true, that he doesn't do that. At some point, at some point God won't heal us and we will die. That is just the way it is, and that's the way God has set it up. So God's no is not unfair because he's never promised us that he will heal us every time. People who believe that, people who are upset with God for not healing their loved one, not healing them, I, I wanna ask you in as loving a way as possible, what do you think God owes you? What did God ever borrow from you that he has to repay you? What, the fact that God even gave you life it's far more than you ever deserved. None of us did anything to deserve being born. Yet here we are. God is totally unfair, but he's unfair in our favor. We don't deserve this life, yet we have it. We don't deserve eternal life, yet he offered it to us. We don't deserve anything in life, yet here we are. God is totally unfair because if, if we truly got what we deserved, most of us, all of us, we'd all be in a world of hurt. So God's unfairness to us is the greatest thing we ever experience, okay? So what I've learned from God's no, I've heard the word no from God a lot, y'all. I'm, I'm not gonna say I'm an expert, but I definitely have a college degree in God saying no. And this is what I've learned, and I wanna pass it on to you all. First thing is this, is that God uses no to remind me of his ultimate plans. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Okay, many people hold, like I said, hold God to a promise they never made because they're thinking about this world only. God, why am I having trouble in this world? Why am I not being healed in this world, okay? Uh, he never said he would. If God did that, people would live forever. We all know at some point God won't heal you and you will die. Psalm 139 says this, that your days were numbered before any one of them came to be. I believe that God knows the day of your death. 
and mine as well. Nothing takes him by surprise. That's what Psalm 139 says. Remember that any healing that we receive in life is only temporary. It's temporary. Anything that you receive, any healing from a disease or, or a sickness or an injury that God miraculously heals you from is temporary at best. In fact, every miracle that Jesus ever performed, except for the resurrection, had no lasting significance. Healed people with leprosy? Well, big deal, they died of something else. Uh, he, he raised Lazarus from the dead? He died of something else. What did he get out of it? A few more years of taxes, and here we go again. Okay? Um, uh, no, God is far more interested in our eternity than, than, this, than this life. When God says no to healing, it makes me shift my focus <clears throat> New person's eternity. I was in the ICU uh, one time praying for a young man who had been in a terrible car accident. He was not expected to live. And I was leading the family in prayer over this young man. And we were praying, we were crying out to God that he would save his life. And then I realized, if he doesn't have Jesus, what does it matter? If, if God heals him here but he doesn't have Jesus, then he's got a temporary reprieve at best. That's it. And so I began praying that God would save this young man's soul. I began praying for his eternity because that's what I felt led for, from God, that, that God said, listen, you guys are concerned about this blip, this millisecond here on earth. I'm concerned about eternity, quadrillions and quintillions of years off into infinity. That's what I'm concerned with, and you're concerned with this little millisecond over here. Why don't you shift your prayers to a bigger perspective that I have, Okay? Our lives on this planet are a millisecond compared to eternity. The book of James calls us a mist that appears and then disappears forever. God in his infinite wisdom and love is far more concerned with our eternity than our lives here. Never forget that. Jesus didn't come here to save us from the flu and from COVID and from car wrecks and disease. He came here to save us from an eternity in hell. Never forget that, people. That that is what Jesus came here for. If we receive healing in this life, wonderful, realize it's just temporary and that God is more concerned with your eternity than anything else. God uses no to remind me of his ultimate plans and you too. God uses no, second thing, God uses no to keep me from experiencing the consequences of my own lack of perspective. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, everyone needs to memorize this and remember this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my way, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Just remember that, that you are made in God's image, not the opposite. He's God. We aren't. And I think that is the most difficult thing for the human being to comprehend and accept, that we are not God. And we, through the miracle of having children, see a very small glimpse of this. I think about the things that I asked God for over these years. <laughs> when I was a kid, I read a kid's book about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
And I thought he was, well, I thought, well, I can be a basketball player. He was seven foot four last time they let him measure. So I figured if I was seven foot four, I could be a good basketball player. So I, so I asked God to make me seven foot four. Okay. And I would check, you know, I, I, every morning in the mirror, and I wasn't growing, and I wasn't growing, and I wasn't growing, and I wasn't seven foot four. And I, I sat there depressed, and I said, why can't I be tall? I don't know, dear, said my five foot two mother. <laughs> but I love you anyway. Well, so I, I asked God to make me seven foot four, and that didn't happen. And then and a few years later, I got really into music, okay? The music of the 80s, yes, awesome, awesome. Uh, and I loved Def Leppard. And so I, I wanted to be a rock star. And I wanted to be able to see in the 80s, the vocalists, the male vocalists had these high ranges, like, uh, guys like Joe Elliott of, of, of uh, Def Leppard and Vince Neil of Motley Crue and even John Schlitt of Petra, these, these soaring vocals. And so I prayed God would allow me to be a rock singer and have like a hit the high notes, like these uh, monsters of rock. And I, when I tried to hit the high notes, uh, it was really bad. It sounded like a hyena with his foot caught in a bear trap. Okay, the, and, 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 I, and I, I, I just got depressed. Press and I said, why can't I sing? Why can't I? Why, why am I such a terrible singer? I don't know, son, said my tone-deaf father. Now go mow the yard. You know, uh, I, when I, I, I just, I look back on those prayers I sent up to God and I cringe about the things that were just life and death to me and how just 30 years later, how I, 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 I'm just kind of glad God didn't, Answer that. I got really into soccer, and Pele was my my uh, my hero, and he was five foot seven. I thought that being five foot seven was the key to being a great soccer player. So I prayed God would make me five foot seven. He didn't answer that one either. I think about these stupid things that I asked God for, that He said no to, that seemed life or death as a kid, and how as an adult they are just I just have a different perspective on them. And so, I've asked God for many things. I just shake my head at now because of perspective of an adult. Now, I wonder what the perspective, you all, of a few million years in heaven, a few billion years in heaven, standing in the presence of God Almighty, looking at his greatness and his glory and it never getting old, and seeing the angels worshiping him and seeing eternity in heaven, I wonder what perspective I will have on the prayers that I lift now. Because I've asked God for things that weren't on the level of being tall or being able to sing. I asked God to heal my grandfather of Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's, and he, he didn't. I asked, my God, I asked God to heal my son of his heart defect, and, and he didn't. I asked God for things that are life and death, you all, and God has said no. But today I stand before you, and I proclaim this, that I truly believe these things will look like my early prayers that seemed life or death to me back then. I prayed that God would heal my son, my infant son, and he didn't. But in a few million years in heaven, after a few million years in heaven, seeing my son fully healed, 
this glorified body that, that God has promised in Scripture that everyone who is a believer in Christ will receive. Without ICU tubes and wires and the pain of, of surgery and all those things and, and, and oxygen up his nose and, and massive wires and tubes in an ICU bed, seeing him fully healed in heaven for a few million years, I wonder how, if I will think that that prayer for him just was really not the right thing. And that's not being callous or indifferent because I experienced the full range of human grief during that time. But God says my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. You're going to have to have faith that I'm doing what is right. And one of these days when you walk into heaven, when you step across this mortal field and you enter heaven, you enter the gates of heaven, it's all going to make sense. It is all going to make sense. And you will say, you will, you will see things from my perspective and you will see my goodness and my glory. And God says, I've given you just a tiny sense of perspective from childhood to adulthood on this earth, this blip of a second that we live on this earth. What do you think a few billion and quadrillion years in my presence, what kind of perspective will you have then? So God uses no to keep me from the, the experience of my own lack of perspective. And the third thing is this, is that God uses no to grow my faith. Remember that God is interested in faith. He's not into pat phrases. He's not into cliches. He's not into ease. He's into faith. He is into you being a grown adult in the Christian faith. That's what he wants. He is not into spiritual infants, even though that's a great stage. He wants you to be in that stage, but he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to grow up to be a mature adult in the faith. That's what he wants. That's all. That's all, all only thing he wants 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, Paul needed healing. The apostle Paul needed healing and said this, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. God uses no to grow my faith. He, he, he does that intentionally for a purpose. I had an experience that troubled me on Thursday, you all. Um, I love ministry, I love ministers, and I'm so passionate about people in the ministry. They're my brothers, they're my brothers in arms. We're, we're teammates for the kingdom, and, and I love it. And so when the opportunity to mentor young people in the ministry to, to pour into them so they can avoid a lot of the mistakes that I made. I, I jump at it. So there's a mentor training thing over at Asbury Seminary for up incoming students, and I was fired up about it. And during the training, the, 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 the teacher said something that just troubled me. He said this. He said, the students we have today are, are different than the students we had 20 years ago. And I perked up because I, I was one of those students 20 years ago. I've, I've been out of seminary 26 years. He said, they're far more wounded, they're far less emotionally mature, and they need affirmation, 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 and more affirmation. And my first reaction was, well, these people are going into the wrong profession. 
Because if you need constant affirmation, you're not going to last in ministry. You won't last six months. My second question was, these aren't kids. These aren't high schoolers. These aren't even college students. These are graduate students. When I was in seminary, the average age was 36 years old. I was a baby. I was 22 years old when I entered seminary. The average age was 36. For every 22-year-old, there was a 48-year-old. What's, so, so, or 50-year-old. What, what, what's going on here? Why, why are 36-year-old people needing affirmation, and why are they spiritually, why are they emotionally immature? What's going on here? I think I have the answer, and this flows into what we're talking about here. The generation after mine, the millennials, were the first generation in America whose parents and, and teachers told them that it was the world's job to adapt to them. See, when I was a kid, and when a lot of you were kids, you routinely heard the words, get over it, deal with it, and you'll live. I was told that all the time. Those were very common phrases for my generation and the generations above us. We were constantly told to deal with it, get over it, it's not that big a deal, you'll live. Those words, have become rarer. And so the millennial generation and down have grown up in the world of microaggressions, trigger warnings, personal pronouns. And if you are addressed with the wrong pronouns, it is not your job to get over it, it's the other person's job to adapt to you. If you have a hard situation in life, if something upsets you, you are triggered and it is their job to respond to you. It is their job to not trigger you. See, guys, what we have trained this younger generation to do is for the world to expect the world to adapt to them. And that is one of the reasons why the emotional instability and the emotional resilience is so lacking in these generations and down. Because they are expecting the world to adapt to them instead of them adapting to the world. And it is so tragic to see people walking around expecting the world to adapt to them. Because the world doesn't adapt to them. I don't know about you all, but most of the world doesn't care if I'm upset about something. Most of the world doesn't have time to learn what triggers me. Most of the world doesn't care what triggers me. My triggers are my responsibility. And when, when I was taught that, what that taught me was an emotional resilience to be able to handle life when people don't treat me like I want them to treat me. And the, the younger generations, unfortunately, have been raised to, to expect people to treat them exactly like they want to be treated. And that is, a, that is the mistake of my generation and the generations above us. And what does this have to do with this message? What does this have to do with anything? Well, because God does not want emotionally regressed believers. He does not want people who, who, uh, who cannot handle the hard things in life. He is not interested in making life easy for you. That is not his goal. His goal is a spiritually mature disciple who can uh, take part in the kingdom. And he cannot do that with us throwing a fit every time we don't get what we want. 
And so God uses no, like a good parent, to shape our faith, to grow us up, to teach us the resilience that we must have to be followers of Jesus Christ. If you've heard the word no from God, as I have, then God is treating you like a child, like, a, like, a, like, a, like one of his children, like a child, like one of his children that he wants to be an adult because you don't become an adult hearing the word yes all the time. We don't need a church full of Veruca salts from Charlie and Chocolate Factory that I want it now whose dad is with, swoop in and get her whatever she wants. A church full of Veruca salts would be a weak, ineffective awful church, a church full of people that are routinely told no and who have them a resilience to be able to handle that and see the bigger perspective and be mature disciples in Christ. That is what God wants. That's why he tells us no, to grow our faith. People, there are many people that I've seen online and otherwise, that'll use this as a talking point against God. See, you pray to God, he doesn't care. If he cared, if I had all that power, I wouldn't let someone suffer and die like that. If I had the ability to heal and I was God and I could snap my fingers and cure cancer, I would. See, God doesn't care. I've heard that, probably you have too. Why doesn't God heal everyone? Those statements are usually made by people sitting in ivory towers in their comfortable apartments, sipping their lattes. Do they ever ask people who it happens to? Not often. Uh, You'll find remarkable faith and joy in people who who have gone through times of suffered or been afflicted terribly. Have you ever spent time with someone with Down syndrome? Ever, 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 I'm talking really engaged with someone who has Down syndrome. Somebody looks at, well, why does God allow Down syndrome? If, God, if I could heal, I would. Well, have you ever spent time around someone with Down syndrome? They're the most wonderful people you've ever met. This world does not bother them. They're the most joyful people I've ever met. They love people. They hug. They, 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 it's like the, the, the problems and the crises of this world are just lost on them. They just love everyone. So my question is, who's really sick? Them or us? Don't listen to every ivory tower atheist and their high-sounding platitudes. Get among the afflicted who've cried out to God for healing and God has said no. You'll find a group of people with an amazing amount of faith and joy. You really will. Because no doesn't mean God has abandoned you. It simply means that his path for you is different than someone else's. When God says no to healing, you pray to God for healing, and he doesn't heal, that means he's got a different path in life for you. That's all that means. And it's all temporary. God's plan for us is eternally, not temporarily. And he may heal us in his life. I've seen it many times. I've prayed over people who've been healed like that. I've seen it. He may not heal you. I've seen that a lot too. There's no formula, there's no no rhyme or reason to it. His goal for us, though, is salvation. Because we all know 
that we're going to die. Every one of us. His goal for us is salvation. Uh, Our goal for ourselves may be health. His is for salvation. And so what I'm going to ask you to do today, church, is to move out of this worldly mindset and move to God's mindset where we begin valuing the things God values, where we take our perspective off of this temporary mess that we call this world and onto the eternity that God has for us and begin to make our goals his goals. You know, if, if, uh, if you're sick today, if you are dealing with an affliction, if you are, I am going to pray that God will heal you. But if he doesn't, will you stay faithful? Do you have the perspective that this is only temporary and that God's plan for you is eternity? See, guys, that's what we need to know. Some of you maybe came to church today wanting healing for something, I don't know, in a marriage, in your, physically, uh, in a relationship, whatever it is. And we will pray for that, and I believe that God, will, that, that God will heal that. But if he doesn't, is he trying to tell you something else? Are you saved for eternity? Anything he does for you right now is temporary. I'm talking about eternity. Are there people who are not Christians in this room? Yes, there are. Are there people who are playing church? Are there people who have never surrendered their lives to Christ? Yes, there are. Are there people who are coasting on their parents and their grandparents' faith, and you're here because it's Central Kentucky, and you go to church on Sunday morning in Central Kentucky, but you've never surrendered your life to Christ? You've never repented? You've never been baptized? Yes, there are. And so my question is, do you have the perspective of God? That is what God wants from you this morning. And when you have that in place, then, then the other things just kind of fade away because you have the perspective of eternity. If you are not a believer in Christ today, if you have never been baptized, if you've never repented of your sins, if you've never said the old me can die and I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be made new because when, when I know at some point God is going to heal me and I'm going to die, I want to make sure that when I die, I am in heaven with, with Jesus Christ. If you've never done that today, I'm going to ask you to do that because that is what God cares about this morning. That's his ultimate plan. And we learn that the easy way. We learn that the hard way. My prayer as your pastor, as your friend, is that not one person in here would be lost. If we all, if, if, if some bomb dropped on this church and we all died in an instant, I would pray that every one of you would walk into heaven with me. That's my prayer. And if you've never made that decision, I want to ask you to do that today. What are you waiting for? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, so many of us.